0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me just start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity um, with the, the breath that's in our lungs, the gift that you give us to praise and worship you, Lord. Lord, we know that Our singing to you doesn't add anything to you. It is actually a chance for us to have our hearts and mind focus on the source of all joy, our creator, God himself. And you give us breath in our lungs. You you give us a song. You give us your word, not so that we could somehow contribute to you, but so that we could experience the self-contained, the unchanging creator of the universe. Lord, I pray as we uh, go through these chapters that you would give us wisdom by your spirit, Lord. Um, We need him to work. We need your spirit to enlighten our eyes. We need your spirit to make my stammering tongue speak wisdom, Lord. It's only by and through your spirit that any of these things can be joyful or useful or encouraging to us, Lord. So I pray that he would work mightily this morning. And I pray that as we rely on your spirit, we would have more of a sense of your glory and majesty and that we would leave here more encouraged by who you are than when we came in because of worship of you. So I thank you for this morning and uh, I thank you for uh, all the people here who are such a joy. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we're... um, in a a series through the third part of five in Isaiah. And um, it was interesting. We were just reading the first couple of verses uh, as we were preparing the slides. And uh, Drew said, hey, didn't we go over that already? And I was like, yeah, we kind of did. Um, where the first couple of verses are actually a little bit of a recap of what was happening in the, in the, in the previous chapter. Because in the previous chapter, we were, we were sort of looking mostly at how do we respond when God brings a measure of suffering to his people? Like, how, how do we respond and how should we respond? And most of our time in the sermon last Sunday was kind of talking about ways we, sh- we shouldn't respond. Kind of talking about ways that we um, uh, respond inappropriately necessarily, uh, let's just say, when, when God sort of brings a measure of suffering. And we, we spend some time talking about the fact that the suffering that he brings is also for a purpose. He, he isn't um, just, we're not just aimlessly going through life and things are difficult or things are not difficult. God is actually intentionally working in shaping us and transforming us and, and drawing us more into his presence through even the difficult things. And I would say, particularly through the difficult things that he brings into our life. And we kind of even went forward to the New Testament and saw that it, that's how it worked in Jesus's life. And he was the perfect sinless son of God uh, that's how it worked in the early Christian's life. That's how it worked in Isaiah. And that's how it works in our lives. God brings a sort of a, a refining fire to purify us, a, a measure of suffering to make us more and more like his son, to, to draw us into God's presence. And we, uh, like we, last week, we talked about sort of these, these sort of negative things that we do. And that's kind of what is being recapped in the first couple of verses. So if you look at verse 31 or chapter 31, verses one and two. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many or in horsemen because they are very strong, but they don't look to the Holy One of Israel or, or consult the Lord. And yet God is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words. What, what he says is, is truth no matter what. And he will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. He, he's, he's saying that, look, God's word is going to be proven true. And when, when God brings a measure of suffering in our life, for those of you who turn to things in this world, for those of you that go back, is kind of what we said uh, a little bit last time, for those of you who, who go to things in this world that are, that are strong and mighty, and that's where you rely on, that's sort of where you put your trust, where you put your hope, um, that's not gonna work out so well for you. If, if that's where you go when God brings a measure of suffering, if you're not consulting the Lord. And so this morning, we're gonna kind of go the other way and say, okay, well, if God is telling us to come to him, if God is telling us, hey, don't go to those things in the world for peace, don't go to uh, the, the things that are tangible necessarily that you can control and pull the levers on for strength, where then do we go? Like, how do we actually rest in God himself? How do I turn from those negative things, which we talked a lot about last week, and turn more positively to God himself? So this morning, we're we're gonna kind of ask the question, returning in rest, but how? Returning in rest, but how? When God brings a measure of suffering to his people, Where should I go? How does that look? What do I actually do on a Tuesday um, or a Thursday or early in the morning or in the middle of the night when your toddler screams? That happened to me this week, like for the first time. You're like, oh, but you're also like, oh, it's like two in the morning, bro. (laughs) This is hard. (laughs) So all the parents are looking at me like, yep. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I'm learning these little things. Uh, but where, where, do we, where do we positively go, you know? Like, I'm telling you, at two in the morning, I'm relying on sleep, or I like need sleep, or I'm gonna be miserable. Um, how do I actually return and rest in the Lord in situations like that? How do I, what do I do positively when I'm in these situations that are really difficult? And so we're gonna kind of cover that, answer that question in three different parts. Uh, we're gonna say, how, returning and rest, but how? Uh, we trust the Spirit, we worship the King, and we play the part. Uh, and that probably isn't going to make... The, this is, you're probably asking, okay, but how? Um, I hope you're asking that, because that's what I would like to answer as we sort of walk through each one of those things. And if you look in chapter uh, 31, uh, he's encouraging his people. This is Isaiah speaking to Israel, speaking to God's people. This is what we're learning from. He's, he's not saying... When he says, don't trust in chariots and in horses, he's not saying don't ever use chariots and horses. Like you can flip to different parts of the Bible where God's people are conquering the land using chariots and horses. He's saying, he's not telling us to say, don't get any sleep, you know? Like don't trust in sleep, you can go without sleep forever, you know? He's where do you ultimately rest your strength and your trust? Is it in getting enough sleep? or is in something else? And there's the, the main issue is that the things in this world are actually less powerful than God's spirit. The things that we trust on are good, usually. I mean, we can trust in terrible things too, but, but it's okay to, to want sleep. It's okay to have some structure. It's okay to, to work hard at your job. But he's saying if these are the things where you ultimately put your rest The problem is those things are less powerful. Those things are less capable. And that's kind of what he says in verse three. He's like, the Egyptians are man and not God. The Egyptians are man and not God. Could there be a bigger chasm between two beings, between man and God? There couldn't be. One of my favorite Puritans said that if an angel became a worm, the gap between God and man would no, wouldn't even compare to that level of humility. Like God and man are, are so much farther separate than an angel and a worm. An angel and a worm are still created. God is uncreated. God is eternal. God is, uh, the fancy word is a say, He's independent. He's, he doesn't need anything. That is definitely not how we enter the world. We're very dependent. We need all kinds of things. We're not powerful, we're, we're limited, we're weak. And he's saying, hey, if you're gonna trust in these things, realize that those things you're trusting in are actually less powerful than I am. He says, the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. Again, it's another contrast between something that's created, flesh, something that was made, and spirit, which is the being of God. God is spirit. And I think we, when we think about spirit, my first thought is to go to uh, like ghosts, you know? Like, ooh, you know, like, like the spirit can go through the walls, <laughs> And flesh can't, you know, or something, something kind of, kind of weird like that. <laughs> but uh, when Jesus is talking to the, the woman at the well, uh, he says that someday we will worship in spirit and in truth, which is which is what we're doing today, via the spirit, because that's the that's the nature of God. That's the that's the that's the essence of who He is. God is is not created like we are he is not bound by time like we are he is not uh contained in a space like like we are he is spirit he's eternal he is everywhere he is unchanging and so the issue is that not not that we go to these things because they're bad but the things that we go to the things that we trust in are not as powerful they're weaker they're not as capable And God's saying, hey, here is the problem. The Egyptians are man and not God and their horses are flesh and not spirit. And he says, when the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble and he who is helped will fall and they will all perish together. And he gives us this like analogy of this young lion. We were were at the, the zoo yesterday. Those things are huge. And I kind of like, I, I sort of picture lions at the zoo as like lazy, you know, cause they don't have to run and catch their prey and stuff. So I, I imagine that if you met a lion in the wild, he'd be like more ripped. Cause you know, he has to like do stuff, but they're still, the zoo ones are just kind of like, what up, you know, or just like chilling, but they're huge that the, he was right next to the window. And like his paw was bigger than my head. And when a hungry lion is ripping up a carcass, how much of you being like, hey, shoo, shoo lion is gonna scare him off. That's the picture that's right here. God's saying, I want you to to trust the spirit because that's when I attack and when I come in to accomplish something, it's like everything in the world is like, shoo lion, shoo. And he's like, I'm a growling hungry lion. Nothing is gonna detract me from the thing that I am focused on. I was thinking about how, so how does that look then? How does that look in our lives to say, okay, Lord, I want to, how can I trust your spirit more than the, the things that I am capable of? Sometimes I feel like I'm very powerful. Sometimes I feel like I can do stuff, you know? Sometimes I don't, two in the morning. Um, But what does it look like for me to actually trust the Spirit? And one of the kind of questions maybe that you should be asking yourself, as you wrestle with a, a problem, as you struggle with something that's difficult, as you work Uh, to solve an issue in your life. How can you look for God to work instead of you? What would it look like for God to accomplish it and not for you? I think that's a hard question to answer sometimes. But if God is saying, I'm more powerful, I'm more capable, what would it even look like as you wrestle with something for God to step in and work where he gets the credit and you don't? Amen. Do we even like think into that category when we try to solve things in our life? It was interesting... Um, Cole and Ben and I have been, you know, we have elder meetings every other week, and Ben and I have been kind of talking about things that we want to be praying for our church to grow in, just as a community. And one of those things has sort of been um, just boldness with what we believe. We want more of a mass to have a level of confidence and boldness in who God is and what He's doing and the gospel, so that that boldness can overflow to their neighbors around them. And, we were, uh, and I've kind of been thinking to myself as, as we're having these conversations and Isaiah is like forcing me to deal with this because I have to read and think about this all week. I saying, what would it look like for God to step in and give people a measure of boldness not because I did anything? Like, what would that look like? And I don't, I don't you know, I'm just, I'm asking that question. And then this week, Um, Now that we have a two-year-old, schedules are very complicated. (laughs) And working that out with Bridget and like moving all these things around, I think uh, my job as an executive assistant was preparing me for when I would have to shuffle schedules around um, with two jobs and a toddler. And the one time I was coming to here to meet someone from another church just to encourage this person, um, I walk in and there's a gentleman talking to uh, the guy that works here and I walk up. And, I, and I'm like, okay, I got an hour and a half. I'm gonna prepare for my sermon. I'm gonna prepare for the intensive. Whew, this is my precious moments right here, you know? And I hear the guy from, the, uh, from here go, hey, Aaron. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, you got a second? And in my head, my first response is no. <laughs> like, I have no seconds. I have 90 minutes to get like a three-hour thing done. But I was like, oh yeah, you know, what's up? He's like, this guy here has questions about your church. No one has ever walked in during the week and has questions about our church. Do you know what he wants to talk to me about? How the church can be more bold. That was our conversation. We had a great conversation. We talked for 45 minutes. I learned about some things in his life. And you may, you know, I'm not going to use his name or anything. You may see him show up over the next week or so because um, he wanted to come. But we just had a conversation about the church, Christians, Uh, in sharing some things about how we can be more bold as a church and his desire to be more bold. I didn't orchestrate that. I've never even met someone here that walks by and wants to talk about our church. It was the one time the entire week I was here. There's there's so many ways that couldn't have happened. And I don't, I'm not trying, you know, that doesn't, you know, oh, I have a sign. Now we have this new like thing we're going to do. I'm just saying, as I step back and ask God, What would it look like, Lord, for you to get credit? What would it look like for me to trust you, the Holy Spirit, the powerful Holy Spirit, to to orchestrate and work these things? And I'm just going to pray and ask for that. He he does little things like that, where I see him at work. And what's awesome, is if you look at verse 6 in chapter 31, when we trust the Spirit— says, turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, turn back to God. So we're talking about, oh, children of Israel. For in that day, when you, when you turn and trust God, when you trust what the spirit is capable of, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And I think that's an interesting uh, result clause. Like in that day, when you trust him, because you trust him, you will cast away these idols. And I think it's a beautiful picture of when you see God work more, you actually begin to realize the things you're trusting on are less powerful. When you see God step in and do things that can only be explained by his spirit, working his plan with his power and his authority, not because of you did something, when you start to see God really working, then the things that you turned to before to find rest seem more lame, You see them for what they really are. (laughs) Deaf and dumb idols. Flesh and not spirit. Man and not God. Because God is so much more powerful. So how do we, we're turning in rest, but how? We trust the spirit. And I would just encourage you to ask yourself, what would it look like for God to get glory in this situation? and not me. What would it look like for the spirit to work something here and not me? And pray towards those ends with faith, knowing that God God wants to get credit. I think one of my favorite things to say is God has a God complex. He wants it to all be all about him because it should be because he's God. (laughs) He's the only one that should have a God complex. So how do we Return and rest in him. We trust the Spirit and we worship the King. We worship the King. Look at chapter 32. He tells us a little bit about this King. It's a, a future prophecy in chapter 32, verse 1. He says, Behold, in the future, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Streams of water in a dry place. When when this king comes, it'll be like streams of water in a dry place. I think one of the biggest mistakes I made when I was in Texas was go on a long bike ride with only one water bottle. And it was, I froze it, but by the time I went to drink it, it was warm. Like it went from frozen to warm in like a little over an hour. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so disappointed in this. <laughs> it's a, a, this picture of like thirst is used in scripture a lot. I mean, when we're suffering and we're going in through difficult times, man, how much do we just want that to be over? How much do we just want streams of water to like quench our thirst? when things are really difficult. And he says, when this king comes, the king and his princes will rule in justice and each will be like streams of water in a dry place. I think if I read that, and I take it kind of seriously, I'm like, all right, bring that king on. <laughs> like, Let's let's set up this whatever rule and reign situation that they're talking about right here because it sounds wonderful. Life is a little bit chaotic. Um, If we could have this king who will reign in righteousness, that would just be wonderful. If we look at at a couple of verses in the New Testament, which I'll have them on the screen because I know uh, we're kind of encouraging everyone to use their Isaiah journals, but... In Matthew 28, we get a little, little interesting comment from Jesus here. It's probably a verse we've heard a bunch of times. We'll look at that, and we'll look at something in Revelation. Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 16, says, Now the eleven, this is the, the very, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I, you know, uh, every time we talk with the kids about who is God, um, there was one kid that was always like, Jesus. And I was like, well, that is true, Yes. Uh, and then we talked about the father, the son, and the spirit, you know? Um, so there was never a sense in which God didn't have all authority, right? Like was God, God wasn't in, God wasn't not in charge before Matthew 28. But think about Jesus's life. How much authority did he have over his day-to-day situations? I mean, in a lot of ways, he just, he's saying, I do the will of my father. I'm here doing what God has called me to do. I'm here suffering and learning obedience. We talked about that. As I work my way to the cross so that I could make atonement, so that I could do what is necessary to bring my people back into the presence of God. He didn't, as a man, he didn't go through all of those things for nothing at the end. Like he, he had a reward. Hebrews says he was looking forward to the glory that was set before him. And now that he's accomplished the will of the Father, now that he's done what, God, what the Father had, had uh, asked the Son to do, he's done the will of the Father, he's risen up and he's seated on a heavenly throne. And guess what he gets out of that? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Amen. What a gift! That, that's our king. Jesus has is, is, is accomplished the things, and now he's saying, I'm in charge of everything. Everything. All authority. Not just on earth, but also in heaven. And it's interesting, the book of Revelation kind of expands on those two realms of heaven and earth. And as tempted as I am, we won't get into all of that, because um, I do really enjoy the book of Revelation. Uh, But I want to look at just the introduction to the book of Revelation. And I think it's, yeah, verse 5. I'll actually read uh, the verse right before. I don't think I have it on the screen, but John is uh, introducing the letter. And in verse four, he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, I'm writing you this letter, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So he talks about the father and the spirit and the son in verse five, right here, he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. The ruler of the kings on earth. How spiritual is that? It doesn't matter who's president, they submit to Christ. And they don't acknowledge it, definitely, at different points, and some do, some don't. But he is the ruler currently of all the kings of the earth. Which is why in verse nine, when he's explaining, when he's writing to the churches, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, like, hey, things are difficult, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the work of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's saying, I'm your partner in this kingdom. I'm writing to the other churches and I'm saying, we have a king, he's in control, and I'm your partner in this kingdom that we are in. And he uses a little phrase where he says, in Jesus. In Jesus. And that's gonna bring us back to Isaiah. Because all throughout the book of Isaiah, you have these prophecies where there will be a king who does all these wonderful things But there will also be God's people do all these wonderful things. You have a king and you have a people. And here we have a king will reign and princes will rule in justice. So there's this idea of this individual who will come and and bring all of these glorious things. But at the same time, there's also this idea of a a plurality. And what, what Isaiah is prophesying, what we know today is that Jesus is the king on the throne. He is the one ruling and reigning and making every enemy his footstool. He is the one who's uh, enabling his people by the Holy Spirit to be transformed and have more peace and more joy and look more like him. But at the same time, we're united to him. We're united to him. So because we're united to him, it's both the king and the, the princes or the people ruling through the power of the king that's bringing the kingdom on earth as it, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So, so when you say, how do we return and rest? He says, each will be like a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place. How many of you can look back in your life when there was something difficult going on and there was a, a believer friend, a Christian friend, who was just like, man, a stream of fresh water in a dry place. How many of you, when we're going through something difficult, have been involved with someone who is like a shelter from the storm where you just feel better being around that person? What God is doing to change you and affect the world around you is the work of the king in heaven. We demonstrate his character. It's in and through Christ that we demonstrate the character of God to others. So when I say worship the king, if we say, how do we, how do we return and rest? How do we actually turn towards God and, and have more trust in God? When I say worship the king, how many times when we're encouraged by someone else in the community, do we give Jesus credit for doing that? How many times when someone comes alongside you and brings you a measure of peace, do you say, Lord, thank you that your son is working his character in and through that person to comfort me? It's not a coincidence. It's not that they're just a nice person, which is great. It's that God is working in them. The people in your community have been united to the king that loves you and he's using those people to demonstrate his character and his love for you. We need to give him credit for that. We need to recognize where God is actually at work to encourage me and to give me rest and to give me peace in and through the other people who are around me that are united to Christ. I like it what he says. He says, then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will give attention. It's almost like a reverse of of what's being said in earlier parts of the book, where, where they're seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. He's saying that when the king is on the throne and he's working in and through his people, his word will be effective, his work will be seen. And it's not because you and I have some kind of a special gift or we have the right, you know, values and mission. I like those things. But really all of those things are happening because the king is on his throne. And in and through you, he's ruling and reigning and enabling your brothers and sisters to see what God is doing, to hear what God is saying and to respond to that. That's, we, we don't have to, like Isaiah, wait for this king to sit on the throne. He's doing that now. He's doing that now. And if we're gonna return and rest, if we're gonna not trust in the things of the world, but we're gonna trust in what God, our King is doing on his throne, we have to be able to recognize that. We have to be able to point and say, look, the spirit through Christ is changing that person, is bringing encouragement to me. I mean, I, it has been overwhelmingly awesome to see how much this community has served me and my wife uh, in light of having JJ. Like, I don't even know, I think even our like foster person was like, you guys good? I'm like, no, we're great. Like these people brought this and these people dropped off clothes and this person built furniture and this person did. And I think she's just like, well, what am I supposed to do now? You know, like that's, it's been, it has been a huge help to see as I have prayed, Lord, show me what it would be like for you to work things out, not by my strength. I've seen him work through you. I've seen the spirit transform you to, to love me and my wife and that's been a huge joy I've seen you stay up later than you wanted to stay up dropping off food <laughs> I've seen people come over with their kid which is already kind of a mess to try to sort things out while they have a kid where I'm saying that I'm not going to be able to because I'm a kid you know? so people have just been overflowing with love and, and that is a result that's a direct result of Jesus ruling and reigning on his throne That's Christ should be worshipped for that So how do we return and rest in the Lord? (laughs) How do we turn away from the things that we talked about last week and turn towards God? I think a big part of it is trusting the spirit. The spirit is God, (laughs) not flesh, not man. The spirit is the creator himself, not created. He's so much more powerful. We can just ask ourselves, Lord, what would it look like for you to work in a way that gave you glory? We can worship the king. He's on the throne. That is happening now. And so he is opening our eyes to the spirit to see how he's working, to see what Jesus Christ himself is doing in and through you guys, as he's united to you, as you're his hands and his feet, as you serve in in the city today. And then I think we can play the part And I struggled with how to like word this. And and maybe the sense of what I was getting at is a lot of times we're uncomfortable with where we're at and we think we should be somewhere else. And sometimes that's true. And I think if we should be somewhere else, The Lord will open the the doors for those things. But sometimes we're just uncomfortable with the sort of part of the body that we play, the the position that we're in. And because we're uncomfortable with where we're at, we miss opportunities to turn towards God and to see him work. We don't see what he's doing in the place that we're in right now. He kind of... It kind of hints at this a little bit in, in chapter 32, starting in verse nine. We have all these complacent women, which it, it's not recognizing kind of what's going on in the situation. It, uh, in the history of the world, when there was powers at be, wars happening, sort of things, as things changed, between two battling powers, sadly, women are often the one that suffer the most. That's kind of how it's been. And so he's making an image here and just saying, things, I'm telling you that things are happening that are hard and that are bad and that are difficult. And even the women in your community are complacent. The implication is so are the men. There's a whole bunch of passages about how terrible they are, etc. In previous chapters, but there's this idea of complacency. There's this idea of like it'll be, it'll always be this way. That maybe bad things are happening, but I'm like la 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 la. I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to wrestle with it. And that's kind of what he's saying. Verse says, "Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. Like, look at what I'm saying." You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. And he's talking specifically about what's going to happen in this particular community. In a little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Isaiah is is prophesying about the, uh, an army is going to come and, and take them away. And they're, eventually they're going to be drawn off to Babylon. And there's there's all these sort of... Bad things are happening in the, in the Christian community at this time. And God's saying, hey, through the prophet Isaiah, he's trying to get their attention. And he's trying to say, look, I'm going to purify my people one way or the other. I'm changing all the things that are happening in the world so that my people can become holy and pure. And the New Testament is saying, when you go back to these Old Testament stories, learn from this learn that what God is doing and when he brings a measure of suffering, learn that he's doing something. Like it's not, it's not an accident. We shouldn't be complacent to the suffering things that are going on around us. There should be, uh, there should be a measure of concern. And I'm not, you know, don't hear me. It's, I don't think that America is Israel. So I'm, I'm not, I, like I'm definitely not on that front. Um, but we are God's people in America and uh, not wonderful things are going on, right? No one, doesn't matter what side of the aisle, political aisle you're on, inflation's not good for anybody. Everybody wants to solve that. That's adding pressure. There's difficult things there. I think another, you know, seeing Christian leaders who were once respected fall from grace in very disgusting ways, nobody likes that. Like that's not something that we're like encouraging to us. I think living in Denver, where there's like a measure of hostility towards things that we believe, not, you know, I think people are great. I love being in Denver, but you know, I was kind of, we said in our intensive, there's certain topics you don't just openly talk about at coffee shops. Whatever those topics are, you know, there's like looking around, you know, not not that we're like afraid to have conversations about that, but you just start you're inviting a a measure of criticism if you're going to bring up certain topics in certain contexts. Like God is saying to His people, always, as I am the one that is bringing these things about, as I am the one that's shaping and orchestrating history, I've put you here, and I'm not put you here so that you can have a measure of complacency. I've not put you here so that you can just ignore all the things that are going on. I've put my people in this position for a very specific purpose. This is the I have a part for you to play in all the things that are going on. So look at verse 12. And we'll start at 11. What is that part? It says, tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breast for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exalted city. The soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. It kind of feels like we're growing up in thorns and briars sometimes. Like it's not, the most ideal soil, necessarily. And he, he's just saying, when he's sackcloth cloth and ashes, it's is just an outward expression of humiliation, an outward expression of humbling yourself, an outward expression of saying, Lord, this circumstance is beyond and above me. This circumstance is, is completely out of my ability to correct the, the, the circumstance needs more than what I am capable of bringing. I need you to work. I think our part, when we say play the part, we recognize wrong things around us. We shouldn't shy away from them. We should, as a church community, as God's people, we should recognize things around us that are not right, And we should cry out to him to act. We should humble ourselves and say, we are not able to make the change. I am man, I am not God. We are flesh and we are not spirit. But we know that God is way more powerful. God is way more capable than anything we could ask or think. God is way more able to actually bring fruitfulness or to bring uh, transformation in the world than, than any of his individual people are. And, and that's what he's saying in verse 15, saying, humble yourself, go through the suffering that I'm bringing because until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high, verse 15, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fruitful field. Saying it's the spirit. He comes back to the power of the spirit. He's saying it's the spirit. It's the the very being of God that needs to act to change things in the world. That's what we should be pleading for him to do. That's what we should be going to him to see him work and to see him produce change in a way that none of us could ever imagine. Our part sometimes in, in the difficult Large, big picture suffering that's going on in the world, our part is to plead with God to use his spirit to act in powerful ways. Because he's capable. He's able to change things. He's able to change the world and turn things upside down in and through his spirit. And that's what we're asking for is we're humbling ourselves and we're saying, Lord, my part is to just recognize what's going on and ask for you to step in and do something wonderful. Now, It's interesting because we're talking about God's people as a whole in Isaiah and he makes these um, big broad sweeping statements about all the people of God which at this time was just a little country you know so all the people of God were in Israel and now Jesus is the king of all kings he's the lord of all the kings on the earth so we have sort of this big expansive view of the kingdom and he says at the very last couple of verses starting in verse 18 he says my people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings in a quiet resting place and then there's this weird like switch in 19 it says and it will hail when the forest falls down and the city will be utterly laid low and you're like whoa okay how do those two things go together like my people will have this peace and they'll dwell in a quiet resting place uh, and it will hail so much so that it destroys forests and cities. And it's kind of this idea, he's going big picture again and he's, he's looking, he says my people, he's looking at all the people of God saying that it is through suffering that glory comes out on the other side. There is a, a measure of Difficulty that happens in the world for God to sanctify and make his people the way he ought to be. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God, God is working to change his people in the way that they ought to be. And then I think our temptation then is to say, and we look at like really big picture things like that, we can say, uh, we can zoom out and say, okay, well, all these difficult things are happening. Maybe the church isn't like it ought to be, but I can trust that God is working in the world to purify and to make his beautiful bride, the church. And that's all well and good, but how does that work for me right now? (laughs) Like, that's like a future thing I can be encouraged by and I can trust God is doing that, but I'm living here, doing the thing that I'm doing right now. What does that have to do with all of that? And he kind of gets more specific in the very last verse. He says, happy are you who sow besides all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. Now, the first time I read that, I was like, what? (laughs) Do I, do I need to go to the zoo and let him roam, you know? Like, <laughs> be free, Isaiah 32, 20, I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, most commentators see that, the so besides all waters is, is reminiscent of Psalm 1, where you just have this idea that the tree firmly planted by streams of waters will bear fruit. And the, the, the idea is, that God's people, regardless of what big, huge kingdom realities are going on. I mean, like there were faithful believers that got drug off to Babylon that were still trusting in the promises of God, even though the king was terrible and most of the people worshiping idols. There were people there genuinely trusting God. The same goes today. There, There are Christians all over the city, all over the world that are not like those fallen leaders that are leaning into making things better in their community, that do care for others and see Jesus working in and through them. God's church is growing, is becoming beautiful, is demonstrating his glory. That's definitely happening. And and our experience of that varies kind of depending on where we're at in history, where we're at in the suburbs or downtown, you know, like our experience of that can feel very differently. But what he's promising here is happy are all you who sow besides still waters, He's saying, if you, wherever God has you, the part that you're in, wherever God has you, he will use you and bless you as you trust him. God can both work out these grand, huge things in the world. And as you trust him, As you do what is wise, as you lean into trusting the spirit, as you lean into worshiping God, as you know your part and where God has you, he will bless you, he will encourage you, you will be happy. (laughs) Of course, we do that through suffering. So we're not not promising that things will just be woo, you know, there's a whole bunch of chapters about that. But God is saying, as you trust me, as you apply yourself to wisdom, You will bear fruit from that where I have you. He's promising that for you. And I like what the commentator said. I have the quote on the screen. I thought this was a really good way to kind of end this and summarize this. He said, This lesson is as profound as it is needed. This idea that God will bless you where He has you. The wondrous changes that are to occur are the work of God alone. He will purify his church. It will be beautiful. It will cover the entire globe. His purposes will be carried out. The judgment will come, and with it, the promised peace. What then is the responsibility of his people? It is to continue in their own work, wisely living for him. Such are blessed, yea, blessed indeed. All he's saying is that, yeah, there are some big things happening in God's kingdom all the time. But if you wanna turn away from your idols, you wanna turn away from the things of the world that you trust in and turn to him, you have a part in that. And where he has placed you, you can apply yourself with wisdom and you will see fruit from that. You will see him work in those things. He will transform you. He will enable you to worship and trust the king. He'll demonstrate his power to you in your life. This is the wonder and beauty of the God that we worship is at the same time, he's working everything that's happening in the world for a very specific purpose. To have this king on his throne, to do what Adam couldn't do and spread his glory throughout all of creation. At the same time, he's working in your day to day. He's working in every little piece of your life so that you could turn to him, so that you could embrace his wisdom, so that you could see his spirit work in a mighty way, so that you could be happy and worship him. That's the power of our God. That's what he's capable of. And as we return and rest in him, we really will find strength. That's the promise of Isaiah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are such a good and and wise God. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us. I thank you that you're waiting to be gracious to us. I thank you that, that we don't, Whatever it is in our weeks, whatever it is in our lives, whatever it is we're, we're circling about and, and just without considering you, whatever it is, as you convict us by your spirit, Lord, of our own sin, of, of your righteousness and of a measure of discernment through your word, you're waiting to be gracious to us. You're waiting for us to turn back to you. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength not our strength, but strength that most definitely comes from you to see you and worship you. In your name I pray, amen.